From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Everyone knows there's a talent problem. It's hard to recruit great talent. It's hard to retain great talent. And we have a lot of reasons why this is. We could talk about the economy. We could talk about the great resignation, all that. But what if one of the biggest problems is that generally speaking, we just kind of really suck at understanding talent? Our contemporary world is failing at mobilizing talent. It's the single biggest problem facing businesses. That is a voice that economics nerds will know well. His name is Tyler Cowen. I'm Tyler Cowen, professor of economics at George Mason University. He's also the host of a podcast called Conversations with Tyler. And for our purposes, most importantly, he is the co-author of a new book called Talent, How to Identify Energizers, Creatives, and Winners Around the World, which he co-authored with serial entrepreneur Daniel Gross. And Tyler says there is an important reason to have this conversation now. Bosses resort to an overly bureaucratized approach. If you're worried about income inequality, I would just say talent is the flip side of that, right? We're not finding enough people and getting them into the right positions. We see throughout human history, if you look at Silicon Valley, the Florentine Renaissance, wherever you wish to look, that being good at allocating talent has a very high return. And so it's incumbent upon us all to get it right. I had a really interesting, very actionable conversation with Tyler about talent and in particular about how to find talent, because sometimes it's it's, it's not about posting job listings, although that's fine, but sometimes it's actually just about cultivating the talent that is in front of you, identifying the great untapped talent that you can turn into the game-changing person you need. How do you do that? That is the conversation I'm having with Tyler. I apologize. The audio quality is a little weird. There's some background noise. I'm not really sure what happened there, but I think it's worth sticking through because what he has to say is just so great. Coming up after the break. No one has a business like yours with all its strengths and challenges, which means that to succeed, you need a hiring partner that adapts to your needs. You need Indeed Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. With Instant Match, for example, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job post, according to Indeed Data US. And you know, if you've ever hired people as I have, you know it is like a full-time job trying to hire full-time people. Indeed makes it easy to start hiring. It takes 10 minutes or less for most small or medium-sized business employers to post a job, according to Indeed Data US. So start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash problem solvers. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash problem solvers. Indeed.com slash problem solvers. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back talking with Tyler Cowan, co-author of the new book, Talent. And I have to say, the the whole book, really interesting and comes at talent in a lot of different ways. But I decided to focus the conversation that we had on the last chapter in the book because it was about finding and acquiring talent. 
but then took this very particular lens. And well, I'll pick it up from here. When I was reading this last chapter of yours about how to convince talent to join your team, the thing that I was thinking about was how many people who start businesses, who are small at a time, are concerned that they won't be able to acquire the best talent, that there are great, talented people out there, very smart people who could help your team, but you can't compete for them for one reason or another, because you can't afford them, because they're not going to take the risk. But it was interesting then, and I was surprised when I started to read the chapter, that you actually came at it from a completely different perspective, which was that you were talking about how to raise the aspirations of people that maybe you already work with or that are kind of within your grasp. You write, don't underestimate how little people, including your employees and applicants, may think of themselves. And this you then continue on is because there is a crisis of confidence among the workforce now. And anyway, what this made me think was that, huh, perhaps there's also a crisis in confidence among the people who are doing the hiring. Because if I am running a startup and I'm concerned that I can't get the greatest talent, that is in itself a kind of crisis of confidence and perhaps not the right way to be thinking about how I can find or cultivate the smartest people. What do you make of that? Large numbers of people lack adequate self-confidence. I think often people just need a reframing. So if you're starting a, a not huge company, well, probably you can't get the very best talent, right? But you don't need the very best talent either. Uh, what you need is idiosyncratic talent that is good enough for your purposes. And how can you learn how to do that? And when you reframe the problem in those terms, I'm not saying that's easy, but all of a sudden it sounds like something that is doable. So your aspiration to build a great institution, all of a sudden that's possible again. How do you recommend finding idiosyncratic talent? I like that term and I like that line of thinking, but I don't know that people know exactly what to do with it. Very often, the way you find talent is not by going around with a telescope or a magnifying glass, but by pre-investing in a network of social connections, loose ties, loose acquaintances, people you know who might recommend someone. And most of us underinvest in these networks. On any given day, it doesn't quite seem pressing. But when you actually want to start a venture, or maybe you have an institution, you just want to expand it, start a new project. It's your, your loose connections that you will be drawing upon. So doing in advance that which you need to do to have the appropriate loose connections is my number one piece of advice for people looking to grow through talent acquisition. Now, this makes a lot more sense because you in this chapter aren't really talking about necessarily how to identify the folks, although that comes earlier in the book, but also about how to cultivate them, how to, as you say, raise their aspirations. You write, and this is just going to quote you to yourself one more time, because I really like the language here. Don't assume that your best and most productive workers actually know what they are capable of, because very often they do not and need nudging in the right direction to realize their full potential. This isn't a call just for someone to be a great user of and gatherer of talent, but also someone who is able to recognize talent that maybe the person who they are working with does not even recognize that they have. Sure. As human beings, we are mimicking animals. We mimic that which is around us. We have a standard for what is good enough. It could be the people we went to high school or college with, could be our brothers-in-law, uh, but very often that standard isn't high enough. And you see this so often when immigrants or the people from other parts of America move to Manhattan, move to Silicon Valley, 
It raises their entire sense of what is possible and indeed what they can do. And people work harder. They work smarter. Some of it is that they learn from what's around them. But a lot of it is actually just osmosis, like, hey, here's a new world. Things can be this way. And that becomes emotionally vivid to people and then internalized. So that's an interesting distinction that you have between, you know, you're talking about people who move to Silicon Valley or other economic hubs and therefore are pushed to achieve more than they would have before. You weren't comparing them against, but the unspoken comparison is against, I guess, people who didn't do that, who stayed in less challenging environments. Is there a self-selection happening there where the people who move to more challenging spaces or put themselves in more challenging environments, even if they are not initially working at as high a level as they could, they have self-selected to become the kind of person who puts themselves into that environment to begin with? And they want to change themselves in that way. But I think the point is there are plenty of people who grow up who, who might want to change themselves that way, but they haven't seen fully what it entails. They haven't known enough other people or enough siblings who did the same thing. And what you can do, especially with younger people, is just expose them to the idea, give them a trip, let them spend a week, say, in whether it's Manhattan, Silicon Valley, or whatever they do, it could be some other environment, right? And let them see the excellence there, the competitive feel, and then decide for themselves, do they want it? But so many people never get that opportunity to bend their own curves. There's a certain amount of inertia, status quo bias, and a lot of human decision-making. Are you more suggesting then, if we were to dig into how you raise the aspirations of someone, let's say let's say you are running a, a small company, you've got the idiosyncratic talent, as you described, and you've got some people who are really really smart, but they're not achieving at maybe the level that you think they could. And maybe a founder is sitting there and thinking, this person is talented. They could do so much more. I do not have the bandwidth to be their life coach and help them do this. And I don't exactly know what direction it is that I'm supposed to be pointing them in. The The suggestion that you're making, and I, I put it back to you because I just want to hear you expand upon it or take it in a different direction, is that sometimes the most powerful thing to do is just show them that there are more possibilities to simply expose them to stories and examples that maybe get them moving on their own. Send them to a high quality event where they will meet some excellent peers. If it were economics, I would say send them to Cambridge, Massachusetts and the National Bureau of Economic Research. So where you should send will depend, but the general idea is quite robust. What else can somebody do when they are in a leadership position, they identify great talent, but that talent is not rising to the occasion as much as they could. How can somebody help foster that? Well, first of all, you mostly lead by example, right? So try to do your best to embody the ideals you wish to see in your company more broadly. Criticism very often doesn't work. Encouragement can have a very high return. Very small acts of encouragement, liking someone's tweet, sending them a short note or email. Again, we have our own daily routines. They don't quite feel like priorities most of the time, but you can often do much better with your people just by nudging in a positive direction, even a very small amount. Yeah, I think that that's something that is important and often overlooked. I, I will admit that I catch myself as a leader having not done that often enough. I will, I will for example, say, oh, it has been a long time since I've sent a note to say, hey, that thing you did was really good because I just kind of expect goodness. And then when somebody delivers good, I, I think, well, good, a job well done, but it doesn't require <laughs> me to have reached out. And so hearing that is a good reminder to myself and I think many others that sometimes a leader in 
their just business as usual silence can also not be pushing people towards their greatness. Only do the sincere, but if it's sincere and also other people see it's true, it will have a multiplicative effect actually well beyond that single individual. Tyler, I promise I will only do this one more time, which is to quote you to you. But again, I just really like the language. So you bring up the, if you teach a man to fish maxim that we're all familiar with. Uh, And then you say, if if you've ever found yourself saying silly fishing maxims to yourself in your head or others, purge it from your thoughts, upgrade it. Imagine a future company that will replace fishing altogether, instead producing a superior foodstuff at lower prices that is also better for the environment. Teach a person how to replace fishing. Now we're getting somewhere. That is a very, very interesting idea. Can you draw that line for people to cultivating talent? Whatever it is you're, you're doing in life with your profession, with your calling, at least think, what would it mean to aspire to something fundamentally one step higher? Doesn't mean you should run off and do it. Maybe you're not in that position. But just ask, well, I've taught myself how to fish. That's nice. Should you teach yourself how to start a fishing company? Should you teach yourself science to come up with the food stuff better than fish? Just ask those questions. If you ask them a few times, you'll find you keep on asking them regularly. Every now and then you will hit upon a larger idea that you actually should do. And therein lies uh, the seeds of ambition. Going to take a short break and then come back with more of my conversation with Tyler. Here's a true story. There was a time when people would sign up for my newsletter, which meant that I would get an email alert and then I would have to manually plug in an email address to the newsletter so the person was subscribed. Why? It's a long and complicated story. But anyway, the point is Zapier fixes exactly these kinds of problems. Zapier helps marketers make the most of technology you already use. Connect all your apps, automate routine tasks, and streamline your workflow so you can convert more with less chaos. Easily connect over 4,000 of the most popular apps that marketers use every day, like Google Sheets, Slack, and Facebook lead ads to automate almost any workflow imaginable. So for example, have you ever dreamed about automating routine tasks like following up with your marketing leads or cross-posting on social channels? That's Zapier. See for yourself why teams at Airtable, Dropbox, HubSpot, Zendesk, and thousands of other companies use Zapier every day to automate their business. Try Zapier for free today at zapier.com slash PSP. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R.com slash PSP. All right, we're back and now picking it up where we left off with Tyler. It's building the habit of mind of thinking bigger, even if you're not always setting some particular path. We are all too local in our orientation. The people around us, our daily commute, the headaches of the day, right? That's what we give most of our attention to. That's inevitable, but it's nonetheless the case that at the margin, you want those bigger thoughts, bigger vision, just try it on for size, make that a habit. Not saying always do it in a foolhardy fashion. Just keep on asking, am I thinking too small? What is the bigger picture here? Every day of your life. It reminds me I've often asked myself a question that is, I guess, similar, although the language I use is different. I just wonder what you think of it, which is, what am I missing? You're suggesting asking, am I thinking too small? What am I missing? I guess is is quite similar, but I am always very concerned as a leader, as a creator, that there is some important element, maybe a very new one, maybe one that I wasn't supposed to be aware of before, that is now there that knowing it would fundamentally alter the way that I act. And that's why it's so important to be asking yourself and then have people who give you feedback as to your own processes. Someone who can say to you, hey, you're thinking too small on this. 
you know, what's the next step here? What would a step advance look like? Do you have any case studies that you could point to? I'd be really curious if you've seen a specific leader or a company that has just done a really good job of cultivating and advancing talent and, and what that looks like? Well, Elon Musk is the most obvious example. He was personally involved in the first few thousand hires at SpaceX because he realized you needed people who were ambitious enough who thought we can actually get to Mars. Now, I'm not sure we'll get to Mars, but that's not the point. The point is they have high lofty goals. They have already made remarkable achievements. Elon is now onto Starlink, possibly Twitter, other projects. Uh, he spread thinly, obviously, but that works because he's hired so many good people who have the same energy and vision that he does. So that's just one example of many. Mm, that's really interesting. The the reason that you highlight that is because he was so deeply involved in a way that a leader often isn't so deep into the process of hiring. Oftentimes a leader hires their their core team and is involved in the hiring up to, you know, I don't know, a, a, a hundred or plus employees, but at some point they get too busy and they're not they're not filtering for who they are looking for in the same way anymore. They, that level of rigor isn't there because maybe the company feels like, well, we just got to, we got to fill seats. We got to put uh, butts in seats and you start to lose your focus on how important talent is in getting you towards your goal. Is that right? That's right. And he has for a long time focused on people who are willing to think big and can execute. And he attracts them and inspires them by being that himself. Do you think that there are different ways? Do you think it's required to find different ways to... Let me ask that question again, because I have stumbled upon how to ask it. Here's what this makes me think of. I recently interviewed this guy named Justin Mitchell. He is the founder and CEO of a asynchronous meeting platform called Yak. And he has very specific views on how work should be done. Obviously, his company is basically devoted to eliminating meetings and replacing them with asynchronous meetings. And as a result, he hires very unique individuals. He said that he does not post a job on a regular job board. Instead, he likes to find people on Twitter and Reddit because he's looking for a very specific kind of thinker and a very self-motivated person. And that has worked very well for him. In fact, so well that he's able to give people a level of freedom that you don't hear at other companies. For example, one of his beliefs is that everybody works differently. And so you should allow people to optimize themselves. If somebody happens to be a really great worker after 10 p.m. and they work until three in the morning, well, then let them do that. Don't force them to work nine to five because all you're going to get is a lesser version of them. But anyway, the reason I bring this up is because I was intrigued by the way that he thought about how to find people, that he is finding people in atypical ways because he's looking for atypical workers. And that popped into my head as I was hearing you talk about how to identify the talent that's really going to matter. And I wonder if you think that it requires us rethinking where we're finding those people in the first place. That's very close to my own set of attitudes. I like people who have found me. That, in a sense, is the first step in the puzzle. So I run a fellowship program, and we have enough money where we could advertise it. But I, I don't want to advertise it. I want the people who have solved the puzzle of finding out about it to begin with. And that's self-selection for people who have initiative, people who think differently, people who are looking for something that's not just the usual. So I don't know if it works for every sector. If you're Starbucks and you need to hire cashiers, I don't think you can just uh, treat it that way. You don't actually want too much originality. But for many creative ventures where it's a matching problem, again, you're looking for the people who are inclined to come to you. 
I have thought that way about myself as well. And the majority of the people that I work with in my own personal ventures are all people who found me or they found my work and then they became curious about me. And you're right. There is something really compelling about that because by the time someone has reached you, they have in a way sorted themselves into the kind of person who understands at an abstract, almost difficult to articulate way, the reason why the work is so powerful. And that also, I imagine, gives them an insight into how the work can reach people and be better. Yes, absolutely. What would you say are, if we were to just kind of flip this, we've been talking about things that people should do, but if we can just spend a few final moments talking about the mistakes that you see people make as they cultivate talent, well-intentioned mistakes, be they as they may, but still that are ultimately not achieving the goal, what do you see? Well, one mistake is simply excess negativity, but another mistake is just being overly bound by bureaucratized processes of hiring. Now, those processes may be necessary in very large companies when you need to hire a lot of people very quickly, but there is nonetheless, when it comes to promotion at the very least, some irreducible element of judgment involved on the part of the higher-ups and management. And just to think about that creatively, give it care, think through what you should be doing. That's the skill we try to teach people in our book. And again, there's a tendency to have inertia, let the status quo ride, let the bureaucratized processes continue, not change them, not try to improve on them at the margin. That's another big mistake. And you see it very, very often. If you were to diagnose that mistake, where where do you think that comes from? You have delegated hiring to a human resources division of your institution which is fine and necessary, but then you feel it's a problem that is taken care of and it's not. That's just the first step. You actually still have to make sure you're hiring the right people and that those people have the vision of what you're trying to accomplish and they can contribute meaningfully. And you're still eventually in the position where you need to exercise independent judgment over those hires and debureaucratize what is going on. Which makes me think of your Elon Musk example. Exactly. So he did that from the beginning, obviously, He is more successful than just about anybody, but at much smaller scales, you can do versions of the same. I guess then let me ask you as a just concluding thought to ask you how far that can scale and go. Does the person who has the vision, who initiates the company, have to be involved in hiring forever? How can they scale who they are bringing on and how they're cultivating? Because, of course, at some point, even if Elon Musk, who is, uh, you know, something of a crazy person in the way that he uh, drives himself and drives his businesses and was involved in hiring thousands of people, which is just a, a scale that I think a lot of people just cannot imagine doing. At some point, you have to step away. So how far can the founder or the person with the vision go in being directly involved in hiring? And then at what point do they actually replicate themselves in a way in which what they are continuing to do in hiring is meaningful? That's going to depend on context. But I don't think scaling it is the correct metaphor. Mm. Scaling it leads you to think, well, how many of these people can I possibly meet? And if you can meet more, that, that probably is a good thing. But nonetheless, you want networks within your institution that when the handful who have true potential to become top, top leaders, that they are brought to your attention. And that is by necessity not a scaled process. It's only going to be a small number of people even in a highly successful organization. And you want to make sure the nodes are there so you get to meet those people and interact with them. It's deliberately something you can't scale, but nonetheless, you want a series of connections where they come to your attention. 
Tyler, really appreciate your thoughts. Thank you very much. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.